Welcome to Crypto Podcast Goods, the audio home for Club CPG. This week, Joe O'Rourke, co-founder of Forum3 and DGen Network, takes CPG COO Mikey Pirro on his journey to Web3 and the launch of Starbucks Odyssey platform. The two go deep on the current state of the collector's market and look to the future of loyalty programs. As a reminder, the hosts of CPG, Pop, and their guests are not registered investment advisors. All opinions are of the hosts and guests alone. Nothing discussed today should be treated as investment advice, and all content from our Genius Calls is solely for informational and entertainment purposes only. Now let's get to that Genius Call. GM, GM, we are back. Hello, Club CPG community. It is been too long, but we are going to have an amazing show for you today. There's been a ton of hype around Starbucks and around what has been accomplished there, a major brand participating in Web3. And it is my pleasure to introduce to you Joe O'Rourke, who also goes by Bunchu. Uh, Joe is a community builder and a Web3 strategist who co-founded Forum3 and the DGen Network. He advises entrepreneurs in Web3 and crypto um, and even without technical background, he's there for folks that really want to get involved. His company, Form 3, helps companies as a strategic partner to design, build, and execute Web3 projects. And their goal is to create mass onboarding events into crypto. And I think they've done a really great job at that. Uh, and their most important and probably most prominent project that we'll talk about today is the Starbucks Web3 loyalty program. Joe, thank you so much for coming on to the show. We've got an exciting set of questions here. How are you doing this morning? GM, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited about this. Um, I was actually a member of CPG when y'all launched uh, back last year. So this is a super exciting full circle for me. Well, thank you for your participation. Um, thanks for joining us. We're going to dive right in to the, what we normally ask for folks is like, where did you get started in Web3? Um, you started your career on the sales and marketing side, and it was a, a kind of an adjacent field. What was the the moment for you that you sort of like picked up on it and, and progressed? Yeah, I, my story into being full time in Web3 is actually really unique. It's uh, very kind of atypical results, not typical, don't try this at home type of stuff. So I actually got into the crypto space back in 2017. Um, and I came in through a sports betting background. And I, you know, at the time it was, um, not, you know, a regulated industry like it is today. And if you wanted to to dabble in it, you had to kind of go off of these, you know, random offshore type of places. And so they were only taking Bitcoin as, as deposits. So that's actually what got me into Bitcoin. And today is just past my sixth year. So I had first gotten in in May of 2017. And uh, at that time on Coinbase, you know, it was Bitcoin, Ethereum and Litecoin. And you got all your news from Reddit and that was it. There was no, you know, that, but I fell down the rabbit hole. And from there, it was really interesting. In 2018, I started kind of creating my own content. So I started a podcast called Wrecked Podcast. It was a crypto-related show. And, um, you know, I'd been doing that ever since. And then 
in 2019, I, I first found NFTs. Um, and, you know, I'd also had a, a physical collecting background, as you can kind of see behind me, I have some, some, you know, things there, but I came from a, a physical collecting background as well. So I immediately saw value in digital ownership, right? So it was something that struck and a nerve with me right away. And I got really interested in it and I kind of never looked back from there. And then fast forward to, you know, kind of the NFT boom in 2021, we pivoted our crypto podcast to uh, focus more on NFTs. And at that time I was uh, we we also launched DGen Network. So DGen Network is a um, kind of a media company full of different Web three shows. Um, I host my podcast there. And at the time, though, I was very much into play to earn gaming, and I was tweeting about play to earn gaming all the time. I was into Axie Infinity, and um, through that, I actually got an invite to Drew Austin's house, who some of you may know. He's a co-founder of a project called Knights of DGen. He's a VC in the space as well. And he invited me to his house for a retreat. And at the time, I was still working my full-time medical sales job. And um, like, I, like you'd mentioned, I'm sales and marketing background, no real technical chops. And um, when he invited me, I saw the guest list and it was all these people that at the time I felt like I didn't belong in the same room as. And so I was like, yeah, Drew, I'll, I'll be there. What weekend is it? And he's like, oh no, it's Tuesday. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> and so uh, believe it or not, the Friday prior, I quit my job. And I quit my job to go to Drew's house. And uh, that was the only way I could make it if I did it. And so um, at Drew's house, I actually met Adam Brotman, who, if you don't know who Adam is, he's the former chief digital officer of Starbucks, former uh, president of J. Crew, And him and I hit it off immediately at Drew's house. And that's kind of how Forum 3 got started. The next uh, two weeks later, him and I were working together. And uh, a couple weeks after that, Forum 3 was started. So I, it's kind of this very weird, unique uh, entry into full-time in the space. Um, I took a big risk, bet on myself, and, and and so far, it's worked out pretty good. Amazing. What immediately came to mind in this thread of you have folks that are collectors like yourself, which is really this digital collection is such an important vein, I think, that runs through like people's lives. And then in the digital sense, it's like much easier to show those collections. And I think we're going to dive into that more. I had a more of a random question is like, do you remember the best Bitcoin bet you ever made when you were sports gambling? And what was it? You know, actually, the best thing I did was every week after I was placing some wagers, I would actually pull all the funds out and let them sit in Coinbase. And that was at the time where, you know, Bitcoin was running it's through a thousand right. bucks. Yeah, exactly. It was on the run to like 3000, which was at the time all time high. And uh, so... By doing that and kind of watching my my number go up, you know, I was like, oh, maybe I should learn about what this stuff actually is. And that's what kind of sent me down the rabbit hole. So it wasn't necessarily the bet that I made. It was the fact that I would pull the funds out, let them sit in Coinbase. And uh, the fact that like my money was turning into more money got me 
learning about the technology, what was behind it. And as soon as I did, I was hooked. Totally. And you don't have to like sweat an outcome of a game. It's just kind of like, oh, this just works. (laughs) That's exactly right. In the current market, that wouldn't necessarily be the the move. But yeah, at the time, it's pretty, pretty fantastic to just be like, I only won $25, but I put it here and now it's 50. Now it's 50. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Totally. And then what do you physically collect? Yeah. So I was a huge, obviously sports fan. So sports cards, memorabilia, all kinds of cool stuff like that. Um, this, this soda bottle behind me, actually my grandmother bought it for me. It, I was, uh, I'm a Penn state university alum. And so I'm a huge Penn state football fan. And that soda bottle is a collaboration of like Penn State and Coca-Cola when they won the national championship the year I was born, which was 1986. So just cool stuff like that. And then these shoes are the Artifact Fuocious collab, which was pretty cool. Um, And then I have a bunch of other cool sports stuff and sports cards. I actually, I have right next to me my uh, Babe Ruth signed baseball, which is pretty cool. That's Uh, probably my... amazing. Yeah, that's probably my coolest... uh, like collectible possession. And I won that during COVID on like $180 raffle. So it's got like an extra story behind it too. And uh, so um, I came There's from a, a Sandlot a, quote in here somewhere. To- oh, totally. <laughs> absolutely. And so, uh, yeah, I had a, a physical sports, mostly sports uh, was the stuff I was collecting, but now I'm into, you know, sneakers. I'm into art. I'm into all kinds of stuff like that now through web three, which is pretty cool. Before we move back into the Web3, I just want to highlight at the time of recording this episode, Army is going to play Penn State tomorrow in lacrosse. I'm a, <laughs> I am a Army lacrosse player. I was. Oh, no way. And so cool. we are going to do a wager. Let's right. think of, we'll think of one by the end of this, but we're going to put some friendly wagers, some some Twitter, some Twitter stuff out there. I like but, that. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's the semifinals of the NCAA tournament. Um, I know they've been in Annapolis. It's been, you know, Penn State sports, just, I mean, everybody knows Penn State football, but it's just been such a cool just program to follow from. They've had such a come up in a, a lot of different sports in the last 10 years. You know, when I was in college there, uh, the hockey program, which is now, you know, vying for like, frozen four every year they were a club team when i was there which is pretty crazy so it's cool to watch you know your programs progress and i'm sure you feel the same about especially if you were part of a team which is pretty cool yeah 100 percent. so you have to figure out that we'll have to figure out that wager because i'm definitely down yeah all right all right great (laughs) i don't know that i'll put well we could put a little bitcoin on it maybe i don't know we'll figure something out but um let's let's dive into so you quit your job you you met up with Drew and then now Forum 3 is is starting. Let's talk about the early days of that. What was the premise of Forum 3 and how did you get to that premise with Drew? And again, through the eyes of like a founder, like you meet your co-founder, you're like excited and you've got like the world is your oyster. Like how did you vector down into like what is your focus going to be for Forum 3? Yeah, so it's interesting. So it's uh, so Drew's whose house we were at. It's Adam Brotman, who's my co-founder. And when we met, yeah, when we met there, 
so I ended up going to Drew's with this focus of kind of teaching them or my experience with play to earn gaming and specifically at the time Axie Infinity, which was just this massive, massive thing that was uh, happening at the time. And so as Adam and I started talking that night, we obviously had this very, um, interesting shared thesis on play to earn gaming. And so we actually came out of that with um, these really interesting thoughts about why we liked play to earn gaming, what it meant and, and why it was like, broken in the current state, right? So if you remember, if you were around in 2021 with Axie Infinity, um, it had this incredible come up and then obviously kind of the air came out of the balloon a little bit. And and when we were really digging into that, it was all about how the economy was structured. And so, you know, at the time, it was really easy to see for us that that type of ecosystem was super extractive, meaning um, the users were the ones funding the ecosystem, right? They were buying assets and those assets were returning a token. That token had a monetary value and people were kind of always rushing to ROI, right? They wanted to get out what they at least put in and then try to profit off of that. And the way those those structures were set up, that is not a functioning economy, right? But so we were super interested in, in part of those tokenomics. And our original thesis was, well, what if you take these kind of play to earn mechanics and apply them to a brand or an entity that actually has power to fund and back one of these ecosystems, right? Where it's not extractive, meaning the user's not buying in and, and funding that whole ecosystem. It can actually be funded by a brand. And um, that brand has clout and, and collectability and things like that. And what would that kind of ecosystem look like? And then in sp- specifically, that turned into a focus around uh, loyalty programs, which obviously, um, if you know Adam's background at all, he was the chief digital officer of Starbucks. So him and his team created the original um, Starbucks rewards app and the mobile order and pay and the loyalty program and things like that. So, um, you know, he always has this consumer brand loyalty type of mindset going into everything. And when we were really talking about it. That's where our original thesis came from. These play to earn mechanics mixed with how this could relate to consumer brands and specifically loyalty. What was the aha moment for you and Adam? And how did you like, how did you formulate it where you were like, man, I really think Starbucks would do this. Yeah, it's interesting. We, so the the relationship with Starbucks was very interesting. Obviously, Adam having um, you know worked there in a, a C suite capacity for many years, he had a really great relationship with Howard Schultz. And at the time, Howard was not at Starbucks anymore. He was on the board, but he was not running the show. But he was interested in what Adam was doing with Forum 3 and specifically Web3. So we had had talks with them and our other co-founder, Andy Sack, he uh, and Adam had, you know, 
had dinners with Howard and were kind of explaining all the things that Web3 could do. And that was kind of how the original relationship formed. And then months later, Howard ended up going back to be the CEO of Starbucks as an interim for the third time. And he kind of then tapped us on the shoulder and, and was very interested in doing it. So that's how the relationship formed. But the structure of the, the the thesis really came from, okay, what if you take digital collectibles as a form of earning in, a, in the scope of a brand that has collectability and you create this immersive loyalty experience out of it where it's not as much transactional like the traditional program is. It's more experiential, community-based, things like that going to divert a little bit towards your building. You've built Starbucks Odyssey. You have a strong foundational team that really thinks about rewards consistently. CPG, like we've spent a ton of time building our own rewards program as well um, in a different vein. Across Web3, where do you feel like there is a really easy low-hanging fruit opportunity? And then also, where do you feel like people get tripped up and and fumble the easiest. Yeah, I think um, the low-hanging fruit opportunity to me is still the power of these communities. We see it with what we're doing with Starbucks. Um, we can get into that as in the community aspect, but I think that's really the ultimate power of what we're doing here in Web3. There's ownership as it relates to community. And that is a really powerful thing. Like when we're looking at kind of the current landscape and you see all these PFP communities and the ones it's, it's interesting because the thing that they, that kind of they rally around is their community and the community around this shared collectible, which is the actual PFP, right? And so, you know, the the struggle that those same communities find is how do they kind of reward their their current user base while trying to expand out, right? We see kind of doodles maybe doing that right now with what they're doing. They're trying to expand outside of the Web3, but they have this trouble where, you know, they're... Um, they have these holders that are looking for more, right? So there's this constant push and pull on that side. And it's like, I think we have to get away from rewarding in terms of something that is just a financial asset because there's so much more um, in the world of rewards. There's so much more in the world of what's actually considered perceived value. So I think the power is in these communities and the struggle is we're currently sitting here with um, a landscape that promotes this speculation number go up rather than what the actual benefit of what you're receiving is. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. I think, I mean, you're wearing a moonbirds hat. And so there's, there's definitely been an interesting conversations around like what the moves are and what people are doing. My opinion is it really sort of distills down to unrealistic expectations and a bit of entitlement. And I think that like in both of these instances, like you're helping Starbucks run a pretty massive program and 
despite having the brand of Starbucks, like there's limits, there's things that you'll go to them and they'll be like, we're not doing that. Yeah. And I think like, (laughs) I think most communities like that's the case. It's like, we should do X. It's like, well, we're not going to do that because like these things have implications across both real world cost, but also just aligning your brand to what you want to do. So I, I think like, I am thankful that we're sort of in this trough of disillusionment at a certain point, because the people who are here are building for building's sake and really want to see things progress. And the folks that came before a lot of them, it feels like we're just like trying to do a quick flip or buy the, you know, the next squiggle and either they missed or they haven't extracted what they could out of the community value. Like, I'm very proud of what CPG is doing. We've been doing a ton of interesting things consistently and planning it out and doing it over time. And that, that comes with a lot of our team's effort. Totally. And what's really interesting in the realm of Starbucks is you've got this interesting demographic Venn diagram that's happening where you have, um, some web three native folks, right. That are, are first into the program because they signed up on their, the wait list back in September. And those are the kind of the first people we let in. And now you're starting to see the traditional rewards program members come in and you can see a very different expectation between the two. Right. And, and so I think that's, something that's a a really interesting thing to dig into why that is versus, you know, and, and who is in the space right now versus what we, what we all say that we're asking for, right. Which is this mass adoption. And, and it's this really interesting push and pull that's happening specifically right now in, in web three. You have a wide array of what you would consider loyalty programs, right? Like you've got credit cards that give cashback rewards. You've got credit cards that give points that effectively become cash that then come back. You've got like a punch card, which is generally you do X amount of things and then you get rewarded with some sort of discount on the next thing, you know, N plus one thing. And then you've got points that then not just punch cards, but points that it can accumulate that then unlock certain things. And I think what's fascinating about Starbucks is that it started its original loyalty program is very much about like accumulating points and getting experiences that were like based off of cash. And now we've got, and I'd love to hear like how the polygon rollout has gone for you. But now you have this Starbucks, like you said, you have normies coming in and there's mismatched expectations between the Web3 people and maybe the folks that are regular Starbucks uh, contributors. How does that impact your messaging and how does that impact the structure of the actual reward program? Yeah, I, I mean, just to go back to the structure piece, what's really interesting about Odyssey is it's different than all of those things that you described uh, in the traditional rewards world, right? So our view is that the consumer is changing, right? And the con- what the consumer expects from a brand is changing. And loyalty in the past has been what a customer owes to a brand, right? To get 
said discount to get the next thing to do all that. And I think where we're going is loyalty is now becoming something the brand owes to the customer. Right. And so that's a, that's a different, that's a switch. Right. And so all of these brands are struggling to, vie for attention from consumers to vie for participation and, um, you know, real deep connection with the consumer and the consumer is going to go wherever they're feeling most, um, appreciated, rewarded, recognized, right? And so that's where this concept of kind of experiential loyalty comes in, which is what we're trying to accomplish here with Odyssey. And what's really interesting about that is when you look at what the traditional loyalty program for Starbucks was, it's a very much, like you said, it's transactional. It's I'm I'm giving you Starbucks incremental visits and incremental spend. And in return, you're essentially giving me something that amounts to discount. So there's some really interesting business cases that a program like this solves for versus what the traditional program is like. And then there's also these really interesting insights that Starbucks has about their users that kind of play really harmoniously with what we're doing in Odyssey. And so the first one, one part is, you know, you've got this, it, you've got this very transactional, huge scale loyalty program, 30 million monthly active users, right? So there's a very real cost associated with everything you do inside that program, right? Like everything, any, anything that you do with stars is your discount line, right? And um, that becomes very, prohibitive to do certain things inside a program like that. Now introduce the feedback that Starbucks has from all of its, you know, biggest loyalty customers. And what they are actually asking for is more what I talked about in the beginning, more things like experiences, more things like access, more things like recognition. And so when you extrapolate like that transactional version of a loyalty program into what we've created with Odyssey, you're really able to do that. And, you know, something I like to talk about a lot is these brands, huge brands like this have all of this intangible value, meaning everybody in the world wants to work with a brand like Starbucks, partner with a brand like Starbucks. And that's, artists, musicians, other companies, all of this stuff. And in the past, that's looked very much like push marketing, right? Like Starbucks has a partnership with X. And the only way you can derive value of that is consuming that content and buying more Starbucks. With a program like this, you're actually able to transfer some of that value to a, a customer and you're able to unlock that intangible brand value and derive and drive some of that to the customer via an ownership mechanism, which is these digital collectibles. So it's this really interesting dynamic that's going on versus like what the traditional loyalty program is, what most traditional loyalty programs are, which is this transactional linear thing. And then what the feedback they have on their customers is and what we're trying to do creating this experience with Odyssey. Um, so that's, that's kind of like all these crazy dynamics in play um, versus like what the traditional loyalty space looks like. This is where I ask for some alpha. 
um, where in terms of, and, and I, you know, I asked jokingly, Bobby hundreds was very forthcoming in what his alpha was, but he had that all planned up and I, I think pre-scripted, but in terms of that collaboration, um, and those opportunities, like, have you found that Starbucks very much sees the ease with which collaborations can happen is it still something that they're getting their arms around in terms of how easy and or or not easy? They're all challenging, but easier from a perspective of a collaboration. Like what, what's been the sense from Starbucks and any you know, Starbucks Odyssey and any other uh, collaborations that you've experienced with them? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it's part of, you know the question I get asked a lot of like, why do you need blockchain for something like this? Right. It's, uh, the, the blockchain piece of it makes collaborations, makes integrations so much easier, whether that's from brand to brand or community to community or whatever, it's part of what's so appealing about doing something like this on chain. And one of the things that I, used to kind of like demonstrate this example is uh, Starbucks at the same time ish that Odyssey launched, they launched their um, rewards together program. And this is kind of a web two uh, program that they'd been working on for two years and they launched it with Delta. It's a very cool program. You can connect your Starbucks loyalty credentials to your Delta rewards credentials. And anytime you spend in either of those ecosystems, you get rewarded. Very cool. Very cool thesis. Very cool dynamic. It took them two years to launch that. With a blockchain-based program, all you would have needed to do is have a wallet connect on either site, prove you are part of either one of these things, and you can be you can kind of be creating these collaborations instantly almost, right? So, you know, I use that example to showcase how, to your point, easy these collaborations can be. And so to your original question about does Starbucks see that, the answer is yes. And so um, one of the things that Forum 3 does in the relationship with Starbucks is we are actually out there sourcing um, collaborations with artists, with brands, with other um, companies, things like that, and bringing that to the table uh, for the Starbucks team to kind of vet and and pre- and we're actually you know presenting ways that these things could be integrated into Odyssey, and we have this whole plan of uh, you know kind of three or four different ways other brands, artists, musicians, things like that can play in the Odyssey ecosystem. So you will definitely see some stuff like that in the future outside of, you know, maybe what you would expect from just a, a normal loyalty program. And I think that's really cool. And what's even cooler about that is like, it, it goes into this idea of that sharing that intangible brand value with a consumer, meaning like you may have an opportunity to own this very cool exclusive piece of art because you're part of this program and Starbucks has a relationship with an artist. And because you've done X, Y, and Z inside the ecosystem, you're eligible for this, right? Something like that um, is, is how it could play out. However, like there's perceived value to that for some, but not 
others, right? And what's very cool about this program and the points being on chain is that if that's not your cup of tea, but it is for somebody else, you can transact, right? Or a cup of coffee, you can transact, right? So there's a marketplace where you actually own these points. They're embedded in your NFTs that you're getting. And so if, you know, if you're eligible, but that reward is not your, uh, not your bag, you can go and sell that to somebody who may find incredible value in something like that, which is a whole other dynamic of this, uh, of having a program like this, which is really unique. Also, shout out to uh, my amazing colleague, Morgan, who is actually one of the, you know, I call her the, the godmother of Odyssey because she and she's running all of our collaborations. So um, I, she's she's crushing that right now. So there's some cool stuff in store for collabs in the future. Cool. Morgan CPG is waiting too. So have a, <laughs> give us a ring. Yeah. In our own experience with um, our rewards project, and product, I came to it as this, uh, I'm a, I'm a pretty substantial gamer in a certain sense of not just video games, which I spend a bunch of time with my kids with, but really like board games and gamification is something I like love. I've designed board games in the past. Um, it ultimately comes down to a really great game has to have a very well-crafted end game. Um, and I don't know that loyalty rewards programs will ever have an end game, but I think one of the things that you find when you play games over and over and over again, and you certainly see this with in the wider spectrum of Web3 and even there's, you know, Twitter ads for like that points guy who tells you how to like really game the system to the nth degree, how much planning and how much research do you spend for each event? in the intended outcomes and then figuring out what the unintended outcomes are because people are going to find a hedge <laughs> and no matter what you do and you see it in web three you see it in blur you see it all over the place they find some sort of wedge and they drive it hard and in the thing that we've found with blockchain is like there's no reversibility in it intentionally and that has like significant impact on like how you build a game because you can't like undo things. So what was the process and how do you think about that in the Web3, which is effectively gamification of Odyssey um, in, in what's happened? Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting question. I think this is where, um, you know, the the partnership of forum three and Starbucks really comes into play because Starbucks loyalty team has incredible experience with kind of how to manage these points universes. Right. And they've seen kind of how people, um, will game the system on their normal rewards program. Right. So they had some really interesting insights. And then from our side, it's okay. Well, how, how can those things be exploited via the blockchain piece? Like you said, I think one of the, you know, the problems that a lot of these programs have, and it's a, kind of a cat and mouse game. We saw it with Top Shot and, and things like that is uh, multi-accounting is probably the easiest way to kind of um, skirt some of these, you know, guardrails that we've put in place. And that's always going to be a cat and mouse game because it's, it's 
you run the risk of kind of alienating people who are doing things the right way by, and, and there's always going to be people that try to game the system. Right. And so I think that's probably one of the things that is hardest to manage in a program like this. But outside of that, like we've put some really interesting dynamics in place of how you can, in order to really maximize the program, you need to be really participatory, right? So there's not a, um, there's not an easy way to get the most rewards from, you know, passive actions, right? So what, what I mean by that is like, it's not, it's not an easy thing to bot, right? You can't participate in a drop without having an Odyssey account. You can't participate in a drop without, you know, being um, certain gate. Like you, you actually need to have a Starbucks loyalty rewards program account to even be in Odyssey. So that's been a nice buffer, right? You can only uh, the you can only use your information once. So even if you had a hundred rewards accounts, well, that means you would need to be actually make purchases on those to be at the top tier. So there's, there's levels and things like that, that we've put guardrails in place for. I think it's a, it's a fascinating question because it's the thing that we spent so much time prior to launch thinking about on how you can structure this in a way that we've seen other programs be exploited, right? And so you can never get it 100% right. You're always going to have some people that find, like you said, a wedge and drive it. But because of some of those initial guardrails, like having to have a rewards account, having the top level tiers be... um, you know, really only accessible from the most participatory users because it's an experiential program. Those have kind of kept it pretty in check. We're also doing some interesting things with the points universe, right? So there's kind of this idea of annual points versus lifetime points, right? So you're going to see stuff like that in the future. Um, And that kind of puts in a very unique guardrail. But it also, like you said, alludes to end game, right? So it doesn't necessarily just happen within an annual bubble. There's there's this lifetime idea, which is aspirational and keeps you going and keeps you participating. So um, yeah, it's a fascinating question, but I think uh, we've, we've tried to do a good job at skirting, uh, uh, stopping most of that. <laughs> what makes a great game is not just a perception of fairness, um, but also like the enforcement of it. I think people like I'm like, what's your favorite game? And like, oh, I love Monopoly. I'm like, Monopoly is like the worst game ever. (laughs) And Monopoly is the worst game ever for a lot of really, when you think about it, very obvious reasons when you play it. It's like when one person has the dice, they're the only people that are actually moving. It's totally randomized. So there's not actually really strategy other than the simplest strategy, which is like buy everything that you land on. And then you get all the way to the end of the game and the rules are like, well, I'm in third place and I don't like the person in first place. So I'm going to sell all my stuff to the second place person and make them the winner. And that is like, it's the worst. You you spend like four hours playing Monopoly. And if you do like speed Monopoly, like my, my cousins and colleagues do, like it doesn't take that long, but it, it is like a poorly crafted game and it's got like, you know, all the stuff. But when you play like a really well-crafted game where you have, you never feel out of it, 
you always have like, even as you get very close to the end game, there's some low probability things that you can maneuver to have it work. But, you know, it's a long shot. So the people who have been playing it well are genuinely have a higher percentage of winning, but not like it's not a lock. And that's what like those elements bringing them to all sorts of games. You never feel out of it with Starbucks. You miss something. okay, but you can still catch up that lifetime goal, which I'm excited to see that roll out. Like those are all critical elements of like this fairness in the game because people don't want to show up and be like, oh, I'm just going to lose. Like no one. No one likes that feeling. Totally. And and that's like one of the really interesting things of Odyssey is that you've got not only kind of uh, there's there's a way to participate for everybody. Right. So there's the way to participate in which you're only doing journeys and you're really never having to buy any of these limited edition stamps. And if that's the way you want to play there will be something for you, right? You you will feel like you've earned the rewards that you're getting, and uh, and then there's you know the kind of power user version of playing the game where you want to be the top tier level. There's there's many ways for you to get there, and those top tier rewards are are going to be worth it for you, right? And so um, that's what I love about the way that this is constructed. Is we wanted to give people. Um, I think two things we wanted to one meet people where they are, which is buying coffee from Starbucks. Right. So, um, that's, that's what they do every day. How can this fit into that in a way that feels natural to their normal cadence with the brand? And then two, it's, you know, whether you're, whether you're the power user or kind of the passive, just journey goer, there's something for you in the program. Yeah. Show up every day get your coffee, keep going. That's right. (laughs) And so like, you know, like one of the, um, one of the initial journeys is called the coffee heritage journey. And, um, you know, what's super interesting about the way that this works, if you're not familiar, the TLDR on Odyssey is just you, you log in, it's, it's associated with your Starbucks rewards login. So that's how, uh, that's how the transactions can be tracked. So anything you do in store is able to be tracked through Odyssey that way, uh, which is really cool because that allows us to get really creative with the types of things we do on journeys. And obviously you can see a bunch of future use cases for that, both like IRL and and digital. And then, um, but so you log in, you complete these journeys. The journeys are, you know, typically, um, four to five different kind of quest checkpoints. They include things like, um, you know, watching uh, branded content, doing kind of fun Starbucks Odyssey or Starbucks trivia. And then there's typically something around, you know, trying coffees. And so this heritage journey, the first one uh, that you see when you log in is uh, buy a Starbucks coffee every week for five weeks in a row. And what I, I use this one as an interesting example of the kind of like meet people where they are because it's not buy five coffees this week. It's not buy five coffees today, right? It's not meant to be a forcing function of something that feels unnatural to you down your throat to get this reward, right? It's like, oh, well, I go to Starbucks twice a week. This is easy, right? Like this is, this is an easy thing. And 
and that's what I love about it. It's it's not it's not difficult. It's about participation. Like that's it. It's not like these crazy things that feel unnatural to you. It's really authentic to how you interact with the brand if you're a Starbucks fan. So like, you know, you might get somebody who comes into the program who's a web three native person, but not a Starbucks fan. And they're like, well, why would I want to do this? I'm like, well, you wouldn't. This is for Starbucks people. You know what I mean? And we get a lot of that. And it's like, But we also get people that have never interacted with Starbucks before coming in and and saying how much it's changed the way they interact with the brand, which is really what the end goal is. That's fantastic to hear. It it shows at the largest sense for everybody in Web3, I just want to thank you because you have a giant brand who is approaching Web3 in this very pragmatic way leveraging the technology as it's like really intended to be with like a, a solid steward and a responsible steward for the brand, which is ultimately people love Starbucks. I love Starbucks. What you've accomplished is really inspiring. And so I just want to say thank you and, and keep going. And then I, I want to turn it slightly to you're an entrepreneur. You've you, you took that bold step, you quit your job, you, you went for it. And then we've got a whole slew of folks that are building in our accelerator. What would you say to them at this point in this real bear of a market, both of your experiences in hitting it sort of probably a little bit more in the bull, but now in this, how you persevere through it? Yeah, I think, um, there's a couple things there. And, and just like, if you go back to the beginning of my story, when we started, um, coming in in 2017 was like coming in, in the middle of 2021, right? Like those were bull markets. 2017 December was when Bitcoin hit its 20,000 all time high prior to last, uh, last cycle. Right. And then it went and fell all the way back over the next two years to 3000, right around COVID. Right. So we have seen this cycle before and we're in another one. So if you've, if, if this is your first cycle, it, I would, my advice would be, it gets better. It will. And, but this is the time that you want to be building. Right. So one of the, I I would say great benefits of my journey was the fact that I was creating content. And the reason for that is if I wasn't doing it, if I didn't have a reason to kind of stick around and show up every day, I would have potentially been like the thousands and thousands of others that came in, thought it was a bubble, left, wasn't paying attention, and then just come back when it hits again. And that's not how you win if you're a builder. If if you're a builder, this is the time where you're pushing product, you're establishing yourself. So that way, when the cycle comes back around, you're here and people will find you. And it's not the people that build in the bull that that they might be opportunistic but they're not the ones that typically end up sticking around so i would say it's it's more persevere right and i would also say that like you know we're in this weird time where um 
we're in this bear market and you know the the topic of ai is all the rage and it feels almost like the web3 balloon the air's been let out i can tell you from just places i've been and people we've talked to that that's not the case and so while it may feel like everybody's looking some other way and that web3 is dead it's not the case you're seeing um major brands exploring this space, looking to things like what we did at Starbucks as examples. And I would say that like, what's cool about what we've done with Starbucks is it's giving a pointer to these other brands. It's giving, a, it's giving um, credibility to the space in a place where we, um, you know, talked earlier on the show where sometimes it's, it's feels like we're just a bunch of gamblers, right? Like, and, and that's how people see the space, but, um, doing things like what Nike is doing with dot swoosh and what Starbucks has done with Odyssey, it really gives these credibility pointers. And so I would also just say as a, as a piece of advice is one is, is just don't stop. This is the time you want to be building because, uh, you'll be here when the cycle turns and when all the attention's back on us. And then two, it's that it's not dead and don't necessarily chase the shiny object. Like I don't think like the AI stuff, you should be learning that and integrating it into what you do. Um, But these web three tools are only going to be more important as the proliferation of the AI stuff happens. Right. So, um, don't give up either. I think is the two things. Joe, I really appreciate all the feedback and all the stories that you've shared with us. We're going to close it up here in a couple minutes. What's coming up for Forum Three in the next year, and then what do you see in that long term cycle? Like, where do you want Forum Three to be in a few years from now? And aspirationally, like, what what do you have cooking? Yeah, I think, you know, what you'll see from Forum 3 is you're going to see us implement a lot of the things that we've been able to initially put into our thought process with Odyssey and our learnings from Starbucks Odyssey. So um, a lot of what's happening in Starbucks Odyssey has validated our original thesis, right? Like we have um, this thought process around community ownership, gamification, and storytelling. And I think you're going to see us really lean into those things um, in a big way and in, in what we're going to do with our own projects and platforms, right? So, you know, I think um, we're, we're going to take those learnings and build something of our own that uh, incorporates all of those core things that we believe as, a, as Forum 3. And that we're seeing in Odyssey. I think one of the coolest takeaways from Odyssey is how these communities will rally around a brand and create with that brand. And um, we see it all the time in the Odyssey community. People are, you know, using these, using tools and creating art with the brand, which is something that like has kind of blown our minds to see. And so we're going to lean into those learnings that we've taken away from Odyssey around community ownership, gamification, storytelling. We're going to eventually launch our own um, platform. It may be 
something a little different than you might expect from us, but I think it's going to be really cool. And, and that's the long term for us too, is I think our unique insight is, is how these, how web three can drive all of these really unique customer engagement, storytelling uh, methods and how that relationship can really be deepened and then how brands can call on those communities in ways they've never done before. Right. Like we have like the Starbucks in a Starbucks example real quick is like one of the things that was hardest for us to um, work with them on was the community. And it was because they weren't, they never had a community like this before. Every, everything is social. It's one way it's, it's, you know, um, megaphone communication rather than this real time active thing. And so Charles Schultz wasn't dropping into the discord to talk to folks. Well, uh, so he, he wasn't, but the, but there are people from Starbucks in that discord definitely every day. And so, but it was, it was kind of a scary thing for them, right? They'd never, um, they never had that. And what's amazing is if you ask the Starbucks team now, what they would think the, the biggest asset they have with Odyssey is I think a lot of them would say the community and um, it's because of things like this user generated content that's coming out this of, of the community, this uh, incredible feedback loop that they have with the community in terms of the platform and benefits and rewards and the brand in general. And so, you know, we're taking those learnings and we're going to create something pretty cool out of that. Joe, Again, thank you so much for joining us. We're excited to see what Forum 3 has cooking up next. Would love to just stay in touch and uh, bring you back when we have other things that you want to talk about. And I really appreciate your very unique perspective on on how to pull it together. I mean, community, gamification, ownership, and storytelling. And the order wasn't the exact way you put it, but those four tenants are a beautiful summarization of what the core of a loyalty program should be. And I'm excited to see what Forum 3 does and hear about the next big brand you bring on. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. This was a blast. I appreciate it. And shout out to the CPG community. Um, This was really fun. Thank you. And that's where we have to end it for today. If you want to check out the full Q&A and learn more about joining Club CPG, visit CryptoPackageGoods.com. Thanks to all our CPG and POP members for making these kinds of events possible. Crypto Podcast Goods is produced by Genius Media, a division of Crypto Package Goods.